So tonight we are going to pray part, or not pray, <laughs> I'm going to preach part three of our Lost Art of Fasting, What Jesus and the Bible Say About Fasting sermon series. And tonight we're going to talk about what is currently the most popular of all fasting, the Daniel Fast. I brought a graphic today to kind of illustrate this point. Uh, I went online and looked up. These are all different book co covers, and it might be a little hard to see, but I'm going to try to read through some of them. Um, this is, I think, 16 different books dedicated just to the Daniel Fast um, and the varieties uh, that you can find. So we'll look at the first one. So let me go through them. So this first one, the first few deal with just Daniel fasting in general. You know, they're just basically the Daniel fast, but different authors. This is a lady named Susan Gregory. Over here you got a lady named Kristen Fiola. This one is uh, three different men, Rick Warren, Daniel Amon, and Mark Hyman. Um, the Daniel Fast Step-by-Step -Step Guide for Beginners. This one's a little more different, the Daniel Cure, 20-day, 20 21-day process in which you Daniel Fast. So um, these are sort of the how-to, and they all have different, you know, this one's step-by-step. -step. This one over here, if you can see with my pointer, this one's 21 days. This one over here is 40 days. Um, the Daniel Fast. And then you come down here, uh, again, Biblical Diet Program, the Daniel Fast. They got a little Bible on a dinner plate. Over here is where you start getting uh, interesting. You've got the Daniel Fast, just desserts. So this is a recipe book for desserts that you can have on the Daniel Fast. They fall within the guidelines, probably, of these books up here. Um, here's the Daniel Fast for Spiritual Breakthrough uh, by a man named Elmer L. Towns. Here's a Daniel Fast cookbook, uh, excuse me, cookbook, 47 easy to prepare recipes for all meals. Uh, and then you've got, because uh, if you're busy and if you've ever had to deal with raw fruits and vegetables um, and grains and such, you don't really go to fast food and restaurants during that time because you're, you're going you're gonna to break your, you know, Daniel Fast up here. So this is Daniel Fast recipes in 15 minutes or less. Breakfast, lunch, appetizers, dips, seasonings, lunch, and dinner recipes. Here you've got Daniel Fast smoothies. Uh, to be honest with you, this is one of my – I don't have this book, but one of my favorite things on a Daniel Fast is a smoothie. Um, you take some fruits and vegetables, whip them up in the blender, and you can drink them. Um, this is the Daniel Fast pressure cooker cookbook. Here's the irony of this. It's your Daniel Fast slow cooker meals. Fast, slow, get that? That's funny. Uh, here's the Daniel Fast made delicious. Here is the Daniel Fast dinner recipe specifically, how to cook quinoa and using whole wheat tortillas and wheat pasta recipes, food rules for a Daniel Fast, and over here, holy bites, how to spice up the Daniel Fast, because quite frankly, if you're on a Daniel Fast for any length of time, about day three, you're like, I really could go for some meat, and this person's like, we know that. And we're going to show you how to spice that up. Notice the reoccurring colors of green all throughout these books. Orange and brown. These are all very uh, – This is that's deliberate. Notice uh, with some of these books, like this one here, the Daniel Fast with the Holy Bible, Biblical Diet Program, um, Holy Bites, uh, you know – this one's got the cross there. It's not just the cross of Jesus, but it looks more like the medical cross. Um, there is uh, The whole point of me bringing this to you is to let you know, A, this is like less than 1% of the books I could find on, on Amazon and on the Internet. It's up into the thousands of books that you can buy from every price range, whether it be a, a how-to, how to spice it up, what to eat, what not to eat, thousands upon thousands of books. By far the most popular of uh, fasts, because if you talk about a basic water fast, how many cookbooks are you going to have about basic water? You have it cold, you have it frozen, you have it steamed. That's pretty much all you get. Um, this is a multi-million dollar business. I'm not going to call any of these authors into question. I I'm going to go ahead and just give them the benefit of the doubt. They love Jesus. They want to help folks. But... This is all marketing of the Daniel Fast. These people who are doing this are good at what they do. They know what we are looking for. Like what I said, the color green, 
that that's very dominant in many of these uh, uh, covers. The the mention of uh, of G, the Bible and and crosses and holy and and the idea of this being a spiritual thing. Um, be very very careful. Just because a a book comes out and looks religious doesn't mean that it is. Um, quite honestly, some of these people who are pushing this, this is not an act that draws you closer to Jesus. A non-Christian could do a lot of these things that are found in these books and still benefit from them. They can still lose weight. If that's their point, lose weight and get healthy. You're If you just cut out red meats and dairies, I mean, you're going to just by nature, you're going to become healthier. Um, you cut out a lot of saturated fats and, and, and replace uh, processed foods with all natural. I mean, look at that thing right there, lettuce and, and tomatoes and peppers. I mean, you eat a steady diet of that stuff, you're just going to start feeling better. But never neglect to admit that what these people are also trying to do is make money. And so cookbooks and how-tos and what not to do and all that all play a part in this massive machine that is uh, in, put in place to, to, like I said, benefit of the doubt, help people, but also make money. And so what we've got to do is go back to what the Word of God says. What's the deal with the Daniel Fast? Uh, none of us have the time to read every book, and I guarantee you they all say something different that contradict one another. For instance, uh, some folks who, who do a Daniel fast would never eat wheat and pasta, regardless if it's 100% wheat or, or um, uh, whether it's organic or whatnot. Um, that would be seen under the bread category and would not be permissible. But we see here, Daniel fast recipes, these people got quinoa, which if you're not familiar with, it's a grain. It's like, a, it's like rice. Um, over here, you've got some more pasta, and some people wouldn't be down with that. I, I'm looking. I tried to look at this one here. I think I see chunks of meat in there. I think they're cheating with their with their Daniel Fast uh, pressure cookbook. So, so that if you're looking here as your beginning, you might end up with something that you don't find in the Bible per se. They might love Jesus, and they might start with the Bible or end up in the Bible. But if you are here in and of itself, I don't know that you're going to get the full benefit of a Daniel fast. Any fasting, the the main goal and purpose is not to become healthier, uh, at least not physically. It's not to become uh, you know thin or to lose weight. I've talked to folks who have talked about fasting, and, and one of the first things I'll mention is how much weight they've lost. Okay, well, if you're fasting to lose weight, you've missed the point. But rather than completely discard the Daniel fast simply because some folks use it for maybe not the best reasons, we've got to go back to the Word of God and find out what does it mean to fast like this guy Daniel. What, you know, we know, I know, I think I know why it's so popular, not just because it's marketed, but because um, we live in a day and an age where there's a push for organic and green and all natural. But in the Daniel fast, you don't give up food completely. Contrast this with David last week, he didn't drink or eat anything for as long as that child was uh, afflicted, the Bible says. In this scenario, you still get to eat. And so if you are a novice or have not fasted a lot, you know this is a lot more intriguing. Okay, well, I'm going to sacrifice meat and dairies because that seems to be the recurring theme, meat and dairy are not anywhere on this list here. You know, you, you might have some pasta, that seems to be the gray area, but for the most part, it it's, looks like most people are cutting out meats uh, and, and dairy, cheeses and creams and that sort of thing. Oh, and sugars, sugars as well, which I don't get. It comes from the ground just like the rest of these vegetables, but whatever. Um, and so I, I think that's one of the reasons why it's so popular. Um, we want to know what the Bible says about fasting like Daniel. So just to recap, fasting is just abstaining from anything. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. He goes on, says it again, but when you fast, verse 17, anoint your head and wash your face. There's this assumption by Jesus 
that he would continue that we would as Christians continue to fast as the in the old if he was speaking specifically to Jews I believe that um uh, according to the Old Testament there was really only one day of required fasting so I think that Jesus is speaking of times beyond just that um for him to spend so much time on just one day out of the year I think is less likely excuse me I think it's more likely that he was expecting us there was an assumption that we would continue to fast um and so he gives us some instructions on how not to do that don't do it for religious reasons don't do it for hypocritical reasons like the Pharisees uh, we can learn a lot of things by looking at the Pharisees and just simply not duplicating what they do um, but fasting uh, while it's not exclusively Christian or biblical its greatest purpose is found in pursuing Jesus and so when the Christian fasts we fast in a way unlike the rest of the world um, we have to be vigilant in questioning the motives of our heart always ask yourself why am I doing this and if I even if I can I can give the right answer Lord show me why I'm doing this am I really looking for attention or am I am I looking to look religious or do I really want change in my life and the good thing about Jesus is he's quick to um or I shouldn't say quick sometimes he's not as quick as we want him to be but uh, he uh he's good to answer us when we ask him questions like a good uh, father would and so um, our ultimate goal in any type of fasting is the will of the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and, and later uh, as he taught the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done as it is uh, on earth as it is in heaven. And so um, our goal is always the will of the Lord. Um, we can even fast like David did last week where he wanted something changed. He knew the will of the Lord, but he he wanted something. He didn't want to lose a son, especially not at, not, not because of his uh, wrongdoing, and uh, so he prayed literally against the will of the Lord. But we find at the end of that, the Lord at the end of that fasting changed David. David was ready to accept what what the Lord had, and uh, and not just accept it like begrudgingly, but realize, okay, the Lord has taken this child. The Lord is in control. I will go to be with that child one day. What have I really lost other than this moment in time? I will go to be with him one day. I will be changed. I will be with him. So David was changed, not the circumstance. So this week, why did Daniel fast? So turn to Daniel chapter 1. That's where we're going to find out uh, what Daniel fasting is all about. As you're turning to Daniel chapter 1, I want to read you a huge warning about the Daniel fast. Okay, or, or any fasting in general. You don't have to turn there. Maybe make a, a note of this. Uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 14. Jesus says, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. Make note of that word defile. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? And in most versions you'll see in uh, parentheses, Thus he declared all foods clean. And then you turn... Um, well, I'll continue there. Uh, verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person, uh, and they defile a person, meaning uh, as they originate in the heart of man, as they are expressed physically, that's where the evil comes from. Um, it's it's a big um, check against religions and philosophies that say that things from the outside infiltrate in, and simply our outside circumstances uh, they they are what dictate how we act. Jesus says no. It starts at the heart of man. Evil comes out of man, and those things which we put into us they aren't what defile us. And so the the writer of the book of Mark points out Jesus is saying that these foods are clean for a Jewish person you now for us Gentiles we've been eating everything and anything since day one 
there are no foods that we consider, uh, unless they're weird or crazy, that we consider off limits. You know, we eat, we eat pig and we eat everything without any kind of guilty conscience. For for a Jewish person to hear something like this, Jesus has just rattled their, he's just rocked their world completely. This is a theological bomb just set off in front of their face. Like, oh, all foods are made clean. My goodness, let's go get some bacon. Acts chapter 10. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to on a housetop, or on the housetop, about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. Verse 11, and he saw the heavens opened up, and something like a great sheet descending, uh, descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common, or, or unclean, some translations say. This happened three times, because it seems like with Peter, things happen three times, right? Um, this happened three times, and the thing was taken up, the sheet was taken up at once to heaven. Two instances here in the New Testament where the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament that were, were literally exclusive for the Jewish folks, uh, that is lifted. That has been completed in Jesus, and these ceremonial uh, laws to keep people clean by, by the foods that they eat no longer are in effect. They have been completed. They, their, their course has been run. Their begin date started. Their end date came at the crucifixion of Jesus. And now both Jesus and Peter declare all, uh, or God through Peter declare all foods clean. And so when we read these types of books, you know, these, these Daniel Fast books, um, or any other type of book that say, well, you know, yes, they've been declared clean. However, uh, you shouldn't eat these things for spiritual reasons. Uh, you might be found in sin if you do that sort of thing. Um, we got verse. We, we know that God has made all foods clean. So don't think that by um, doing a Daniel fast, we've entered into some other level of Christianity. Um, and I'm, unfortunately, sometimes that's the way it's marketed. Um, we just want to stay vigilant that, that food and drink don't draw us closer to God or, or, or draw us away from the Lord, at least not in and of themselves. And so just, a, just that's my quick warning about this. Don't, the, the food is not the problem. Let's just put it that way. The food is not the issue here. It's our hearts that's the issue. Jesus said it's, it's, it's what's in our hearts that defile us. And so if the issue is our heart, that's where our focus needs to be. Jesus and our heart and correcting us. Now, the great thing about fasting is that it can uh, aid in that pursuit of the Lord. It can help bring about change practically um, that we are seeking. Um, no foods are off limits to Christians. We can have a potluck. We can bring all kinds of stuff. Now, I want to buffer that with 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, Paul says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And so Paul, so we have two hands here that go together. On one hand, I can do whatever I want. I can eat whatever I want. But just because I can, should I? Are there other circumstances in which uh, I should abstain from something? And Paul points out that relationally, sometimes there's a reason to abstain from something. Uh, for myself, you know, I have no problem uh, drinking wine. Um, my rule of thumb is always it has to taste good. If, it, if I'm drinking it and it doesn't taste good, then maybe my motives aren't pure when it comes to alcohol consumption. And so it has to taste good. And the Bible's clear that we are not to be given to drunkenness. We're to stay sober-minded. And so the idea of being drunk is, is anti-Christian. Um, not saying that people that get drunk no longer are Christian, but we are to be vigilant. We're to say, okay, um, uh, if I drink beyond this point, I will become inebriated, and I should not get to that point. But for me, and I believe what Paul is saying here, is that while I might have the liberty to have a glass of wine, I, I am careful when and how I might do that. 
Um, if I'm with a new Christian or a Christian that is new to me and, and, and maybe has very harsh, strict rules about drinking, I might abstain so that I don't, uh, in their weakness, uh, cause them to stumble. If I'm with folks that I know are recovering alcoholics, I make sure that I'm not going to have a bunch of you know wine in front of them and possibly cause them to stumble because, quite frankly, alcohol is too much of a, of a hook in their heart. You know, and I might cause them to stumble, and I don't want to do that. And obviously the Lord doesn't want me to do that either. So this is an issue of the heart. We have the liberty to eat, but we have to make sure that we, we aren't using our liberty to uh, cause others to sin or even ourselves stumble into the sin of, of gluttony and things like that. So that being said, what is a Daniel fast? Let's talk about who Daniel is first. I'm going to turn this off. Daniel is one of the major prophets. He has one of the smaller books in the Old Testament, some 12 chapters, I believe, but um, profound what the Lord did through him. He had access to kings and leaders unlike many of the people in the Bible. He would um, be used by God mightily for decades, some conservatively probably eight decades, 80 years God, uh, God used Daniel not just in everyday life, but in the presence of king, queens, and leaders of the free world. He was taken captive from uh, Israel you know, in the Babylonian uh, exile where King Nebuchadnezzar came in, infiltrated Israel, where Israel was invaded and taken captive uh, because of uh, judgment by God and their sin and their, their idolatrous ways. Daniel is one of the ones taken into captivity. Daniel, for most of his life, is a slave, at least early on. When we find him at the beginning of the book of Daniel, he's probably a teenager. Um, him and three other men, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, uh, they're the three sort of uh, men highlighted in the book of Daniel, besides King Nebuchadnezzar and a couple of other kings. But Daniel, very young, was probably from royalty. In chapter 1, it says that, that the king took men... Uh, or, or young men from nobility, you know these weren't just everyday, you know, blue-collar people. Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego probably were royalty of some sort. Um, whoever was the reigning king at that time, when when the 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 takeover happened, uh, they were not living the kind of lives we live. They were living in royalty. But as such, that's why King Nebuchadnezzar took them, and he took them to teach them the Babylonian ways, to make them experts and, and to use them in his courts. Um, Daniel was a prayer. Continuously in the book of Daniel, you find him in prayer, continuously. Um, all sorts of different types of prayer, different types of the day prayer. He was also very persecuted. Um, Daniel is the same Daniel from the lion's den. Daniel is the same Daniel who is... is, is uh, by the leaders who were jealous of him, uh, pointed out, and they looked to uh, take him out because of his uh, approval and how much uh, he was sought for wisdom and that sort of thing. He was used to interpret dreams, to see visions, and for us especially uh, important, he was used to prophesy the coming of Jesus. If you listen to uh, prophecy experts and teachers of what we call Eschia, Eschiel, es yeah, you know what I'm saying. Eschological? I, I think I'm saying that wrong. Yes, uh, the study of the end times. Uh, <laughs> um, the study of end times. They'll reference the 70 weeks prophecy of the uh, of the book of Daniel as to, to determining uh, the, the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus and the time of tribulation found in the book of Revelation and all that. Much of the imagery we see in the book of Daniel is also found in the book of Revelation. So profoundly uh, important book, as all the books of the Bible are, but, but Daniel has so much of it cram-packed into just 12 chapters. Um, compare that with a book like Isaiah, which is into the 60s, and, and, and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, who have you know 40 and 50 and 60 chapters. So starting in verse 8, after, after it's pointed out that Daniel's of nobility, that he was taken in the exile, verse 8, verse 8 says, But Daniel resolved he would not defile himself with the king's food, or with wine that he drank. Because Daniel was taken into the presence of the king, he had access to foods that nobody else did. He would be eating from 
the best of the best the best fruits vegetables meats dairy anything that land had to offer had to offer that was elite or special or uh, just for a select few he would have access to that and if you've ever done any kind of study of what royalty eats they tend to eat things that are very weird um, think about something like escargot why would I, I've had escargot I don't know why anybody would repeatedly eat escargot um, we went on a cruise last uh, on our honeymoon we went on a cruise and it was available and the meals are all part of your package, so you don't pay for them. So sure, we'll try escargot. It was like um, if you were to take a lot of garlic and oil and put it around some rubber bands. Um, it was a lot like that, except it's a snail in your mouth. So then we went on a cruise last uh, two years ago now, or almost two years ago, um, with Ethan for his Make-A-Wish trip. And we explained our experience to the hostess, and she said, no, 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 see, so see, you had it made wrong. Um, our chef knows how to prepare them. And let us bring it to you. It's the experience. Just do it. Oh, okay, whatever. You're not paying for it. So um, they bring them out. And, and they were prepared a lot better. But I, I could have not had the snail and these tiny little ramekins full of oil and, and, and breading. And I would have been just fine. They're real snails. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Going back to just because I can doesn't mean I should – um, you know, at least that's off the bucket list. Yeah, I tried escargot, whoop-de-doo, whatever. But this is this is not uncommon for folks who are, uh, you know, very wealthy. They'll eat things that you and I would probably never even think to consume, uh, because they have the ability to do so. Daniel, exactly, fish eggs, uh, all kinds of stuff. Daniel, there was something about this food though that Daniel had the liberty to eat because of his proximity to the king, that showed him if I eat that I will become defiled based on the ceremonial law that he knew uh, from the from the, the the books of the Pentateuch the first five books of the Bible he saw something now we're not told what it is um, but there was something about that food that either was not kosher um, meaning it was food that he should not eat uh, for the for the um, a general rule of thumb for most Jews was uh, if it chews the cud and it has a split hoof, it was okay to eat. So you think about something like a cow, choose the cud, split uh, cud, split hoof, that would be okay. But something like a camel would not be. doesn't have a hoof, but it chews the cud. It doesn't meet that requirement. Also, nothing cooked in, in, in uh, milk. Uh, 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 the scripture, you know, vague paraphrase of the, of the, uh, the script, actual scripture is, you know, don't cook a young goat in its mother's milk, that sort of thing. So, um, so something he saw... In that food, this is not something I should be eating. The Lord doesn't want me to eat this. Or it's possible that food was sacrificed to idols. Um, imagine, if you will, a combination church slash butcher shop where, where you would have animals that were sacrificed to some false deity and then offered for sale to folks who want to buy it. Um, now – Paul addresses this specifically in, in, in the books that he wrote later about how whether you know, idols are nothing. Idols are just stone and wood and, and, and all that stuff. Um, if a meat was sacrificed to an idol and you eat that meat, you're fine. But don't cause your brother to stumble. He goes back into that. You know, don't, if somebody's like, oh, you're eating food made to an idol, you, know, you might want to take into, their considerate, into your consideration their feelings, their emotions, and their status as a Christian. Um, but for Daniel being underneath uh, the Old Testament law and the ceremonial law, for him, if it was something sacrificed to an idol, he shouldn't have ate it. He would have become defiled. So he says, I, I can't – he resolved. That's sort of the key phrase. He resolved. He decided. He chose that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So the chief of the eunuchs, the guy who's in charge of the, of the men who he himself probably were castrated 
meaning they had no genitalia. They were uh, probably used in the service directly to to the queen and the and the and the the, the harem of, of King Nebuchadnezzar. He's in charge. He tells Daniel, "Look, uh, I know you want to do this, but um, at the end of uh, you know in a few days, you're going to start looking worse than the other guys. Um, you're you're not going to get your protein. You're not going to get your um, you're not going to get your vitamins. You're going to look sickly." compared to these other guys who are going to eat all this great food that we've laid out. And then when you start suffering, you're not going to get in trouble. I'm going to get in trouble. The king will have my head because I haven't taken care of you. But working behind the scenes, you have the Lord working through a man who, who's, who doesn't love him. God's using this chief of the eunuchs to fulfill his plan. It says in uh, verse 11 that... Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who are Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Verse 12, verse 12 says, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance, excuse me, and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed to you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. Daniel basically says, Look, give us fruits, give us vegetables and water. Give those other knuckleheads over there anything they want to eat. At the end of 10 days, let's see who looks healthier. And, and at that point, it's in your hands. If you're going to make me eat that food, I'll eat that food. But if we look healthier, then you're going to see that, A, you're not going to get in trouble, uh, but B, that we have reasons and purpose behind what we're doing. So this chief of the eunuchs goes against his better judgment. Okay, Don't miss – one of the great – Things that people miss about this quote-unquote Daniel fast found in this, this part of, of Scripture is that God granted favor to Daniel in, an, uh, in, a, in a land that was not their own as a slave from this man who could have died by what he was doing. God grants favor in the weirdest of places. The circumstances don't have to be ideal for God to grant favor to his people. Says so he listened, the chief of the eunuchs, to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in the flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Going back to people who use the Daniel fast for dieting, uh, Daniel was actually fatter in the flesh than before he started. So that's just weird to me. So um, the steward in verse 16 took away their food and the wine uh, they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So right here is where we find the quote-unquote Daniel fast. Now, going back up here. So we read, we read that Daniel read uh, – he had vegetables and water. Um, and so there's this great debate. Well, is it just vegetables? You'll notice up here, you know, pretty much just, I see an apple there. But primarily vegetables, vegetables. Some people say, well, that Hebrew word is, is – uh, it's, it's not just vegetables. It's vegetation in general. It could be, you know, fruits and vegetables. And then you get into, well, fruits and vegetables. It's anything that grows out of the ground. Now we have wheat that's allowed and stuff like that. Totally missing the point. If you read through the first, these eight verses, these nine verses of chapter one, and you see a diet, you're missing the point. The reason why Daniel fasted goes back to verse eight. Something was going to cause him to betray his God. And regardless of the fact – now remember, Daniel's been torn from his family. He's been taken from his hometown and his homeland. He's now living as a slave. One of those three is enough for any of us to become bitter and say, forget God. Obviously, he doesn't love me. Obviously, he doesn't care for me. But here's the difference in who Daniel was. For Daniel, he's still in this circumstance saying, you know what? I can't betray my God. There is something I've been told strictly not to eat those foods, and I'm not going to do so. And so where do we apply this practically in our lives? This comes down to our allegiance to Jesus. And what is the world causing us or trying to force us to choose that would cause us to betray Jesus? And this is the time in which we can fast like Daniel. If, if Daniel had access to 
what most kings had, which is uh, women who are kept simply for sexual relations, uh, a harem or that sort of thing. If Daniel had access to them and said, no, I will not, I will not you know, literally prostitute myself, even though I have this privilege, I will not do so, none of these books would exist. Because now Daniel's fast is completely different, at least in, in, in the, 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 uh, the substance of it. Um, but the purpose for Daniel's fast would have been exactly the same. Abstaining from that which would stain you in the presence of God. Liberty to do so, but in doing so would betray Jesus. In our world today, there is no shortage of things we can do that would cause us to betray Jesus. And so for the Christian, we have to stay vigilant. Now, I believe that somebody can do a Daniel fast, nothing but fruits and vegetables and water, and and gain ground in their pursuit of Jesus. I, I do believe that. But I think that the, 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 the power found in that is not in the abstaining from the foods. I believe that it's in the purpose of the fast, which is to gain uh, to gain ground in walking with Jesus. I believe that all of these books can be good, but I believe that you can do a Daniel fast drinking nothing but water. I believe that you can do a Daniel fast eating nothing but meat. The purpose behind Daniel's fast was not in just the food that he abstained from. It was the purpose and the reason why he did it. And so, I'll, you know, my wife and I, this one for us uh, hits home because we just finished a three-week, quote-unquote, Daniel fast. And we get into discussions about what we can and cannot eat, and, and we would have to remind each other, the reason why we're doing this is greater than the foods we're putting into our bodies. For myself, it was about gaining control in eating and in my eating habits and, and, and why I eat. I It was a you know, three weeks went by actually a lot quicker than I thought. In that time, I learned so much about myself. I learned about what foods, uh, how they affected my body, how how I felt. So many conditions I thought that I needed to go to the doctor for and probably still do. But I learned that things like acid reflux and stuff, they were happening simply because of, of not just the food I was eating, but the quantity in which I ate them. And so that was one of the practical things that the Lord showed me in that three-week span, and my whole purpose in doing a Daniel fast was to draw close to the Lord, but then to also overcome that which was staining me, which is overeating. And so there were times where, you know, I ate rice. Some of these books say don't eat rice. Some of them say it's okay. You know, I ate vegetables, or excuse me, fruit. Some say no, some say yes. Um, one of the things that, this, this one right here worries me. The Daniel fast desserts, um, because if you're going to um, to fast, the the thing you don't want to do is look for ways out. And I feel like these guys here, and it's just a feeling, it's a hunch. I'm not trying to throw them under the bus or anything. But when you start to fast, and then you start finding ways to sneak around the legalistic rules you set up for yourself, you just give up. Just stop fasting. Like if you're if you're so messed up on needing a dessert that you're going to, you know, chop a bunch bunch of apples and call it ice cream. I mean, you just you're you've already lost the purpose. And so we want to make sure that the reason why we're doing what we're doing is to draw close to the Lord, to know more about him, to to sort of mute the voices that speak into our lives and and just draw closer to Jesus. When it comes to the Daniel fast, I believe that that, that this type of a fast is best suited for what should I be doing, what should I not be doing. Lord, I am confused. I'm being drawn towards one thing. I don't know that if it's if it's good or bad. And that's going to lead us to some questions. Because ultimately, any type of fast should be glorifying Jesus. Not, oh, Jesus just loves me so much and he helps me to get through this fast. That's more like the Pharisees. But that somehow in your lifestyle... Jesus will be proclaimed in your words and your actions. You know, for me, my hope and desire is that that even even my body, um, how I eat, something as simple as how I eat will still glorify Jesus. Overeating, overeating and gluttony, I don't believe glorifies Jesus all that much. So here's some questions we can ask ourselves. Practically, 
that that you know we have the liberty to eat all things, but 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 should we? So first questions: What do we have the liberty to do, but doesn't build up uh, or help me or somebody else? In First Corinthians chapter ten, Paul says this in verse twenty-three: All things are lawful. Are we repeating this one? But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things uh, build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And so you have folks, well, should we drink or not drink? Uh, should I eat this or not eat that? Well, well, maybe it's not about the substance per se. Maybe it's a, the reasons behind it. You know, are you going to cause somebody to stumble? You know, there are people who, who are, are vegan, and they're vegan by choice. And if you eat meat in front of them, maybe they feel that, that Christians should be vegan. I don't find that scripturally, but, but maybe that's their conviction. And so in their presence, are you going to you know, throw around your liberty or are you going to take into consideration their feelings? I think the, the, the best road you can take there is to take into consideration their feelings. Have open discussion and dialogue about why they abstain and, and why you feel that they can't. But, but to love them enough to say, you know what? And Paul even puts it like this. If meat is going to cause me to cause a brother to stumble, then I'll never eat meat again. And let's hope it never comes to that because meat is good. But that's the, the, the greatest good, the greatest goal here is to, to not just please Jesus but to exalt Jesus. Question number two. Yeah, go ahead. What do we have the liberty to do but doesn't help or build me up or someone else up? Uh, the big word that I learned uh, you know, 10 or 15 years ago was the word edify. The building up of another person. Um, and so if what we do is not edifying uh, another person or ourselves, then we have to question, should I do it? Um, you know, you find in the Bible there were great times of celebration. You know, they would just eat and drink and, and just enjoy and celebrate the Lord. I think that's a good thing. But that was not every day. That was during celebration that, and, and birthday parties and Christmas and, and Thanksgiving and a new job and the birth of a baby and, and, and just overcoming and becoming a Christian. These are all reasons to celebrate, and, and food's a great way to celebrate, getting pizza and having some cake and drinking some soda. But we've developed a culture that says, well, let's just do that every day, and we're in the state that we're in. Um, so question number two is, what has the potential of causing my brother or sister in faith to stumble in their faith? First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13 says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Um, Paul loved those people that he walked with enough to say, you know what, if this causes you to stumble. There's no inclination here that these people are right. There's no inclination that that maybe Paul is wrong and, and, and they just uh, achieve some higher form of spirituality. Paul just says, that's their weakness right now, and I want them to get stronger. And if I can abstain from something that will make them stronger, then so be it. I'd much rather them be a, a strong Christian than have a belly full of meat. So what has the potential of causing my brother slash sister in the faith to stumble in their faith? Number three, what may have the appearance of godliness but it's just ritual covered in religion. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 says uh, that in the end of times, or in the last days, that there will become a people that look for itching ears and, and people who will tickle their ears, uh, and they will be the type of people who, um, having the appearance of godliness, uh, but they deny its power. Avoid such people, Paul says. Paul warns Timothy, there's going to be people who, who, who look for and cloak themselves in the appearance of godliness, but God has no power in their life. Go back to the Pharisees. These were folks who, it didn't matter if God was involved or not. They just wanted to be seen by the people as godly. Pharisees still live today. Sometimes we're Pharisees. And it doesn't matter if God has control of our lives. It only matters that people see us as being godly. And so Paul says that, be careful. And we got to ask this question. Is there something that we're seeking that's just ritual. It's just religion. It has the appearance of godliness. Am I fasting because it looks godly because my book has a cross on the front of it? Or am I actually, am I actually doing this because God has power in my life? 
See, there's a lot of people who profess the name of Jesus, but Jesus has no residency or does not dwell in their life at all. They're just using his name like a, a, a witch doctor would call upon the name of some uh, demon or deity, fake deity. So number three is what may have the appearance of godliness but is just ritual, ritual covered in religion. And number four, am I trapped? Has something mastered me? And for me, this is where I fell into. This was my category. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. The idea here is that there's one dominating force in our life. It's the Holy Spirit of God. He is the only one pulling, pulling the, the triggers, uh, releasing us and pulling us in. He's the one with control. He has the reins. But what happens when something else masters us? What happens when food becomes our God? What happens when our belly, the Bible says, becomes our God? What, what about if it's smoking or drinking or sex or, or, or pornography? What if it's, what if it's uh, rebellion, just, just being rebellious? What if it's lying? What, what has mastered me to where I feel as though the overwhelming burden of that thing, good or bad, has control of me. I, I have shared this with you before. One of the reasons why I fasted these first few weeks of the year was because towards the end of 2014, I felt mastered by food. Food determined when I ate. My belly determined when I ate and when I when I wanted something, and and I felt like I had no had no power. I could not say no. There would be times where I'd be eating, saying, I don't know, I don't know why I'm eating, but I'm gonna, and, and I'm not gonna stop till I feel horrible about myself. Um, and so for me, I, I, it was a trap. I was trapped. I was powerless to take the trap. If you imagine like a bear trap caught around your ankle, I was, I wasn't strong enough. So I began to fast. And one of the things I saw the Lord do, and, and I hesitate to say this because it sounds like I'm done. I'm not. Um, was to identify that trap, to realize, like six weeks ago, I wasn't really saying, oh, I'm so trapped. I see it now. Through fasting, I was able to identify this trap and to see when I was going towards food when I shouldn't be going towards food at all. All things, I, I could, we, we have the verse, all things are lawful for me. I can go to McDonald's three, four, five meals a day if I want to. I can eat tubes of cookie dough until I'm blue in the face. If I want to, I can have pizza and wings every night. Totally all right. But what happens when that masters us? You think about something like, like sex between a man and a wife, husband and wife, good thing, beautiful thing, glorious thing. But what happens when it masters you to the point where it leads to things like a prostitution and, and pornography and, and adultery and, and, and all kinds of other, uh, the Bible calls lasciviousness. Well, now something has mastered somebody. And fasting is this tool that God has given us that isn't magic, but God uses it to, to I look at it like uh, unpoison the well. You know, if you try to unpoison a well, you're not going to be very successful. But God has this ability to reach down into the water of our souls and take out those pollutants. To show us, to, to see our motives, to see why we're doing something or, or why we're gravitating towards something. You know what I have found with most people who are addicted to pornography? It has nothing to do with sex. The weirdest thing. You would assume it has everything to do with that. It has very little to nothing to do with that. It has something to do with deep-seated hurts and, and, and it has to do with pride and it has to do with, with uh, uh, how to cope and, and how to get through things and, and being overwhelmed. All the same feelings that I could identify as an overeater, I started to see the similarities in that, and and it's it's really a revealing uh, revelation to understand uh, porn addiction, especially in this day and age where porn addiction is not just something that um, a select few go through. It permeates uh, every age demographic, every gender, every walk of life. There's no rhyme or reason exclusively that points to why somebody uh, is addicted to pornography. I think that the current statistic is kids 
as young as seven and eight years old nowadays have their first exposure to pornography both girls and boys because of things like the internet making it so readily available and kids as young as 12 and 13 are already hooked they're already hooked to pornography at that point they use it not just for sexual gratification but they use it to cope with everyday life and they grow up into adults who then use it for the same purpose it's really if you've never studied the addiction to pornography it's just like any other addiction just a different venue or, or avenue yeah go ahead Marie right right I mean there's there's a fine line I was I went through sex education in in grade school and I giggle because I remember how awkward it was. It was not um, – <laughs> there was – if I go back to the specific class that I was in, it, there was nothing intriguing about it. It was a, it was a half hour, an hour long class that I just wished would be over. Um, but yes, and the, the age that they teach it and things like that um, are getting younger and younger every year. And then you get into uh, what, what's our most current debate. Um, theologically is, is gender identification and uh, children's ability to determine the gender that they feel rather than the gender that they're born into. Uh, that's a big, huge debate that I think that um, I honestly see it as it, there are really people, just sidestep our whole Daniel Fast here. There are folks who are uh, either transgender, uh, they're born with, with both male and female anatomy, just like a, a person who is born with a missing finger or, you know, a cleft lip, that there's an abnormality to it. There are people who or a lack of female or male genitalia. They are the minority, meaning that they it's not every other kid comes out like that. You know, it's a very small percentage. And I believe these folks have every right to um not feel ostracized. I mean, that's going to make you feel weird anyways, right? I mean, imagine your teenage years and feeling awkward. Um, now, now couple it with something like that. Crazy. I can only imagine what these folks go through. Um, but I think that, um, that it, it's, it's all a ploy to get our attention off of Jesus. Um, meaning that Christ, it's being used against Christians to, um, to occupy their time rather than the continuation of the proclamation of the gospel. Um, that is totally side note. One of those things I've been thinking about for a couple of years. But um, it's not that these things don't need to be addressed by the church. They do. Um, and I don't think that all sex education is bad. But I don't think that, that that should be left into the hands of other people either. Like with my own children, that will come from me and my wife. Like that's, I think that's just the way it should be. Um, because I don't want to trust something so important to another person. Um, I mean, I, I don't even let people teach my son math. Like, I don't. I teach him. I do all my home. I do homeschooling. So, I mean, if I, I'm not going to cart him off somewhere else to learn about uh, sex education. So, I, I agree with you. That's that can be a, a door opener, if you will, uh, in our day and age. And for kids that aren't ready. You know, that's one of the, the liberties I have with my children in homeschooling. I get to determine when they're ready because I see them every day. And if they were going to a, a classroom, um, someone else would be determining that. And they might not be ready. And it might not be the time for them to be exposed to that. So, um, so yeah, that can just mess things up. And so it leads to this, this mastering. What has mastered us? Ask that question. What, what determines what I do? Is it Jesus or is it something else? If it's something else, we're in trouble. And fasting is a way to be delivered from that. Fasting is a way to, to keep ourselves, like Daniel said, undefiled in the presence of the Lord. And so, in conclusion, there's no thing that can separate us from Jesus. That's the good news. The good news is that if something has mastered us, Jesus still loves us. If, if, if we are causing someone else to stumble, Jesus still loves us. But he loves us enough and has grace for us in the in the in a way that causes us to see our own folly you know it's an act of mercy and grace on Jesus's part to allow us to see the things that we are doing that he does not approve of if we are sinning if we are causing our brothers to stumble if we are being dominated by something if we are uh, not building ourselves up by what we do God gives us the mercy to identify that 
you know, it would be an act of judgment for him to just kill you and just be done right then and there. You know, I'm tired of you. Boom. Mercy says, you know what, Tony? Let me pull you aside. Look at what you're doing. This, you should not be doing this. Allowing me the opportunity to repent. You know, Daniel fasting for me, fasting from uh, from meats and dairies, uh, which is primarily what I did, sugars and that sort of thing. Um, without repentance is really just not eating food. I had to repent. I had to say, Jesus, I'm sorry that I let things get this bad. I'm sorry that I disregarded your Holy Spirit when He kept telling me not to do things. I, I I'm sorry that I have you know just made such a mess of things. Now, without repentance, fasting is really not. It's just dieting, and dieting's not any fun. I don't like dieting. I want to have my heart changed. And I don't. I if you know. So so now since my Daniel fast is over, um, I've done Daniel fasts in the past. The first the first instinct is to just go eat anything. I can eat anything. What am I going to eat now? And uh, I've done that in the past. So I, I was. I was kind of like a, a kid just learning to walk, you know. I was like, okay, I gotta be careful. What am I gonna eat? You know, I had a, a you know, a hamburger on Monday. And when I say hamburger, it was grass-fed, homemade, uh, organic, like the best beef that you can buy around. And and it was I had to be very careful. I'm not gonna overindulge. I'm not gonna get crazy. Praying a lot. You know what? Okay, victory. No overeating. No craziness. Could I have had more? Yeah. yeah I'm a big guy. I can eat a lot. But um. I was able to walk away from that in victory, and I was very careful to to you know what now it's about eating when I'm hungry, eating till I'm full, letting the Lord sustain me when emotionally I want to run to the fridge, letting the Lord be the one that is sustaining me emotionally and spiritually and all that. That's me following the command to flee from my youthful lusts. I believe that's what Paul tells Timothy, and flee to Jesus, run towards Jesus. Um, and that's where you see real change. That's where you see your life go from, you know, oh, I just abstained from a lot of food and now I'm done, to, wow, the Lord has changed me. The Lord has done something. He's had mercy on me, and and your relationship grows. And so that, in a nutshell, to me, and what I believe biblically the Bible says about Daniel fasting, there's no command to Daniel fast. There's no, this is, you know, you look at this this book up here, the biblical diet program. This Daniel fast is not a biblical diet program. Okay, uh, yeah, I'm totally judging a book by its cover at this point. But um, this is an instance where God used a man to teach us something about not being mastered by something, not not defiling oneself, even when you have the liberty to do so. And so, can you use it to lose weight? Yeah, I guess so. But you can also just be vegetarian, right? I've never met a fat vegan. They gen they tend to be really skinny because they eat so many green things and, and, and all the things that doctors tell us are good for you. And so um, to call it a biblical diet program, I really think is just a marketing ploy more than it is any kind of truth you find in the Word. And so if, if we're running a little late tonight, and honestly, we could talk about Daniel fasts all day long. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And honestly, we could talk about this all night long. Uh, I, I believe that even in the few people that are here, Lord, this is something that, that we are all dealing with in some way, shape, or form. And I, and I apologize, Lord. I do repent of throwing excuse me, of throwing anybody under the bus who have written these books. I, I don't know them, never met them, may never cross paths with them. The potential for doing this for financial reasons, uh, the potential is there for it to be for true real, honest, helping, and all of that. So I do apologize for that, Lord. But what I, I seek and desire in my life and in the life of this church is that we would engage in something like a Daniel fast or or fasting from all foods and just drinking water as we see uh, others do in the Bible. Um, we seek to fast to change our hearts. We, we abstain from things so that you can help us identify those things in our hearts that should be gone. We, we don't want to simply just abstain from food and have some, some fancy diet to follow. We, we want to be changed people. We want to be refined through fire, Lord. We want to uh, afflict. We would willingly afflict ourselves in this way through fasting to help us to see more clearly that which is in our life that needs to be removed. 
And Lord, I pray that you would help us, whether we do it through a Daniel fast or whether you do it through your Holy Spirit, that we could be like Daniel, to identify that in our life that would defile us and that we'd have the integrity that, that though we might have the liberty to participate or to take part of, of, of that thing, that we would not defile ourselves and like Daniel, resolve to not do so, have the integrity to not uh, defile ourselves, to seek you and to flee towards you. If we are causing our brother to stumble, help us to see it. If we are, are engaging in something that's not building up, but it's tearing us down, help us to see it. If we are being mastered by something, Lord, please, Lord, not only deliver us from it, but help us to see that it has mastered us. That it's not like, like we've talked about, just the, the tiny sin. It's actually something that's consuming us. Above all, Lord, help us. Show us. Holy Spirit, be the God that you've told us that you are through your word. And Jesus, we give you the praise tonight. We thank you that true deliverance can be found in you. We love you, Lord, and look forward to our Sunday in Jesus' name. Amen.